0: Hi, this is J.P. Mack, and welcome to Liberty ReLearn, not just another conservative blog. Well, congratulations, you've made it through another week of 2020. And of course, as usual, there's plenty of news to go through. Of course, as you can imagine, I'll be talking a little bit about the RNC, the Republican National Convention. Uh, As I mentioned last week, Democrats had their convention. Uh, It was a little bit lackluster, a little bit uh, seemed uninspired, and I think that was the result. A lot of uninspired uh, middle-of-the-road voters, um, I think the only people really inspired by the DNC were hardcore Democrats, and I'm not even sure uh, if all of them particularly liked it but the RNC the Repu- Republicans just wrapped up their convention nominating of course Donald J Trump for president of the United States and Mike Pence as his vice president and this was so much more well produced and choreographed event I guess part of that is the benefit of going second uh you get a chance to undo or take care of all the mistakes that your predecessor has committed but it's funny because the democrats really have been resigned to doing this virtual this virtual convention for a couple months now, and so you would think they would have had it all worked out. Um, and it's obvious that they pre-recorded a lot of it well in advance. I believe when Ms. Michelle Obama did her address, she didn't even mention uh, Biden's uh, VP pick. Uh, apparently, she didn't know. it it was going to be Harris. So, a lot of it seemed to be pre-recorded, and I think, uh, you know, hindsight being 2020, that was probably the wrong thing to do, and of course, making it look like a Zoom call, you know, was just a little bit uninspired. And of course, just to review the DNC convention, uh, it was Orange Man, Bad... Uh, America as a whole, not much better. Uh, vote for Biden, and uh, but don't worry, we'll ha- get the Green New Deal and AOC's and Bernie's agendas in in through. So, of course, we can call that uh, the first nomination of a Trojan horse for President of the United States. And then in contrast to that, to the RNC convention, which of course was a little bit more upbeat on America, a little bit more positive about America as you can imagine, Uh, it's kind of funny how if I tell you one one party had an upbeat convention, and one party had a convention that Uh, tend to denigrate America and and the American way of life. Um, You can probably guess which party had which one, and if you're at all uh, in tune with American politics, American culture, you'd probably get it right. You'd probably guess that the Democrats are the ones that are denigrating the United States more, and that the Republican convention would be the one That talks up the United States, I think. That's an unfortunate truth, but that seems to be the way things are now. Uh, And, of course, one of the main things, one of the main takeaways from the DNC convention was that they made no mention of the civil unrest. Not, Not at all they had four days to talk about it, and they chose to ignore it. It was only after it was pointed out, I believe it was by Don Lemon, um, that focus groups uh, were getting down on all the violence uh, in the cities. And all of a sudden, uh, not because it was uh, the right thing to do or the moral thing to do, but it was the politically expedient thing to do, Uh, you had Joe Biden and Kamala Harris finally uh, talking about the violence in the cities and of course they promptly blame that uh, violence on Trump which is kind of funny because uh, these all seem to be in uh, Democrat held cities most of these cities with most of the violence have Democrat mayors and most of them also have Democrat governors And it's been uh, Democrat all down the line uh, for decades now. Um, At least up until occasionally when you have a Republican president. That's the only Republican in the entire chain of command for many of these cities that are facing turmoil now. So it's kind of interesting that the party and the ideology associated with that party, the ideology uh, currently driving that party, uh, the one that gives a misguided history of the United States that tends to denigrate the United States and its founding and denigrates the founders of the United States, uh, the same ideology through their cultural Marxism, uh, has decided that uh, we're systemically racist, still as a country, even after all of the civil rights measures that have been put in place, conveniently ignoring the fact that they have basically control of every other part of our society. They have control of Hollywood. They have control of almost all of the media. They have control of uh, virtually all of academia. And so if there's a systemic race problem in America and you know it's hard to believe that uh, the Democrats would not have and the liberals would not have uh, something to do with it um, but anyway be that as it may we did have a positive convention uh, there were so many great moments there's no way really to go over all of them uh, in one one sitting I th- I think the highlight was, of course, when Senator Scott got up and talked about uh, his family going from cotton to Congress in one lifetime. I think that was a big moment. And, of course, you had the Catholic nun appear making a very good uh, right to life statement saying that she's not just pro-life, but she's... Pro eternal life, I think uh, that uh, had a lot of people on the pro-life side. You know, very happy, and of course, again in contrast of with the DNC, I don't think that there was. Well, I mean, you can count on the fact that there was no pro-life message. But that's another. That's another great, great difference between the two parties: the emphasis on life. Almost one side, as they like to say, uh, black lives matter. Um, I think that we can, we as conservatives, can do them one better and say that all black lives matter. Uh, From the unborn uh, to the black lives on the streets of Chicago and Baltimore to the black lives that are unfairly sentenced um, to longer prisons, prison sentences without much way out um, and of course in the uh, RNC there was a featured uh, couple people who were involved with the, uh, Trump's recent efforts to uh, right some of those wrongs uh, particularly that were done in the uh, crime bill that was um, championed by Joe Biden at the time when he was in the Senate. And another highlight of the RNC, of course, were, um, I like the Donald Trump Jr. speech. He's always um, been a good orator. I think he's the most naturally talented orator um, in the conventional sense. Obviously, his father uh, can command the interest of a huge crowd and keep them going. But if you're looking for more of a uh, person able to speak uh, in a conventional sense, um, but yet still hold the interest of the audience, still get the Audience excited uh, about the uh, politics and the uh, the subject matter he's talking to. I think Don Jr. is probably the best one in that family, and but but they all did all of the Trump family members who appeared did uh, particularly well, and that would include Melania, uh, who again the the. Uh, the Democrats and their allies on the cable networks uh, showed a complete lack of class, uh, talking about uh, her accent and, and suggesting that she didn't have a, a right to speak because, you know, and calling her, you know, an alien, you know, because, you know, suggesting that, you know, she's illegal alien or, or things like that. Um. Things that they wouldn't, you know, if they were said against Michelle Obama, um, those same exact things would would just make the the left wing left wing media, you know, just apoplectic, and they would be going berserk uh, if some of the same things were said about Michelle Obama. Uh, but apparently, you know, if if you have uh, a conservative woman. Um, who is foreign born and a um, but a citizen of the United States recent uh, immigrant r- relatively recent immigrant to the United States who still speaks with an accent but you know what um, she speaks five more languages than most of us do um, who and a lot of the she speaks more languages than the people who are criticizing her. I know I particularly I would love to speak any foreign language. As "quote unquote" poorly as she speaks English, I think you know. I would just love to be able to have that ability. And I think a lot of people, if they're honest, would would say the same thing. So her speech was good, and of course, the acceptance speech made by uh, Donald Trump was also good. Uh, it was a little bit long, as you know, many critics have pointed out. Uh, if you listen to it. Uh, You can judge for yourself. It it really reminded us, uh, a lot of people, I think, of a a State of Union speech, which is not, not to say that there's anything wrong with it, but State of Union speech typically is a laundry list of the achievements that you've done in the last four years or however many years that president has been in office, and a list of promises that that person is making for the the future of his term his or her term and so there was there was that very kind of um, like you said a State of the Union type speech more of a serious speech uh, it's not like the speech he might typically give kind of off the cuff to a uh, group of thousands upon thousands of people in an impact stadium. I think it was, it was a very different, kind of more serious speech. But it was good. I mean, he totally uh, painted the differences between him and his opponent, between the darkness of the Democrats' image of America and the positivity and the you know lightness of the the Republican um, idea of America, and where America can be headed uh, if she's just allowed to continue on course and not be um, derailed uh, with some socialist political agenda that the Democrats have, but you know, are pretending not to have. And there were other highlights, of course, um, foreign affairs. I uh, had Nikki Haley uh, talking about her time in uh, as the UN ambassador, and also talking about the uh, instance where when she was still governor of South Carolina, after um, Dylan roof uh, shut up the... Uh, Baptist Church in uh, in North Carolina, uh, killing uh, several, uh, I think many black people. Um, describing how uh, the people in the, the churchgoers were praying with uh, Dylan Roof, and then shortly after thereafter, he killed a lot of them because he, I guess, had. Uh, well, he, he was a bona fide racist, and uh, he apparently thought he could set off some sort of race war. Um, but it was amazing, well, first of all, that the, the people who survived the massacre and, and the relatives of the survivor uh, unequivocally forgave him. It's a very classy act, uh, but that's something that if you know about South Carolina at all, and the kind of people in South Carolina um, that's to be expected. Um, so Nikki Haley talked about that and the fact that that led to some difficult moments. Um, they had a Confederate flag flying in front of the State House. Uh, now that quickly became a controversy, and she pr- presided on taking that flag down and putting it in a... Elsewhere in a museum, I believe, and how uh, these sort of issues can be dealt with in a nonviolent uh, and civilized manner, uh, much to the contrast of what we've seen being done uh, continuously by the left. You know, after about a month and a half of toppling all sorts of statues down of Confederate generals. Of Columbus and even of Abraham Lincoln and and uh, other and U- Ulysses Grant were targeted and uh, you know so I mentioned a couple times that um, there was a statue I think there was a couple statues in California of Father Junipero Serra um, who was a missionary uh, who. Who lived in California and built uh, missions all along the uh, the length of California, uh, bringing uh, Christianity and Catholicism to that part of the world. And uh, then, of course, there was AOC's, um, let's see, uh, uneducated, uh, I think, rather ignorant jab at Father Damien. Uh, who I mentioned in a previous podcast, uh, served the lepers in Hawaii. Uh, this is back in the 19th century, uh, who eventually uh, came down with leprosy himself and eventually died of that disease, but felt like even the lowliest of the people there who had that disease uh, we're worthy of being treated like humans and having uh, some spiritual life. And so, again, there's the, that contrast of, of uh, who the left chair, tear, uh, chooses to tear down and who the right would choose to venerate. Um, and, of course, uh, there is John Paul II who did a lot during the Cold War uh, working with the uh, with the people in Poland uh, particularly welet Walesa uh, organizing work stoppages in that country in protest of their uh, communist government uh, in the solidarity movement of the 1980s that eventually or well eventually it, it uh Toppled the uh, the communist government in in Poland, and of course that was in the early '90s. There there were several uh, government, well, virtually all of the governments, communist governments in Eastern Europe, to include the former USSR, toppled, and a lot of that was due to St. John Paul II. Uh, so there is a bit of difference between. Uh, who the left and the right feel worthy of veneration. Anyway, getting back to the RNC itself, um, even the aftermath of the RNC was again an an exercise in the obvious differences between the two, uh, two camps, the left camp and the right camp, the camp that of course advocates for violence <clears throat> and uh violent measures um in order to effect uh political change. And then the right, of course, uh would like to do it the right way, the constitutional way, and uh have any changes made to our society and to our government done after uh Uh, you know, vigorous debate on whatever subject that is that they want to change. The left sees something they want to change and feels like they're entitled to force that change uh, upon our country and the rest of their fellow citizens by any means necessary. And that reflects uh, also what happened after the RNC ended, after President Trump's acceptance speech uh, A lot of the uh, people who went to the speech, who attended the speech, were leaving uh, often to uh, go to their hotels or to catch a cab or something of that nature and were promptly accosted by uh, left-wing agitators. Uh, Notably among those people uh, was Senator Rand Paul and his wife, Uh, He ran into a bunch of uh, agitators, left-wing agitators, shortly after he left the speech. Uh, Basically, instantly was accosted by an ever-growing mob. He says of about 20, then 50, then 100, then 120 people uh, who were yelling at him um, and threatening him and his wife. One of the things that, uh, ironically, that they were uh, chanting at him was uh, they are chanting "Say her name, say her name," uh, referring to Brianna Taylor, who was killed in a no-knock raid. Uh, I believe it was her boyfriend's home, or I forget whose home. Well, it was boyfriend or husband. I forget which which it is, but. Anyway, she was killed in the crossfire when the police uh, gained entry uh, under a search warrant. Under, a, a, I believe it was also an arrest warrant for somebody in that home. And she was killed in the crossfire. And Rand Paul uh, created a uh, a bill. He sponsored a bill called the Justice, Justice for Brianna Taylor Act, which would outlaw uh, no-knock raids, uh, and of course, those—that's the type that was uh, was going on where uh, Brianna Taylor was killed. And so it's kind of ironic that people are chanting, uh, "Say, say her name, say her name," to really the only one of the only people who did say her name where it really mattered in the halls of Congress. Uh, in in an effort to uh, prevent incidents like that happening again. This only goes to show you um, basically the mindlessness of of a lot of these protesters um, basically functioning as mindless robots on behalf of some greater power and of course a lot of these are paid professional agitators. Uh, they're being sponsored uh, by a lot of a lot of sources. Um, of course, George Soros's name comes up as one of the people uh, feeding money to this left-wing monster that has uh, been created by the uh, Marxist left uh, in their effort to destroy the American way. I mean, the whole idea of peaceful protesting, I think we can all, you know, get a good laugh at the idea of, you know, quote-unquote, peaceful protesting anymore. Um, It's basically all uh, professional uh, agitators uh, and, well, really, for lack of a better word, Marxist revolutionaries who are trying to destroy the American way of life, and that's that's not really hyperbole that is in fact uh the stated purpose uh for many of them uh and of course they have uh enthralled a large number of people uh some of them unwittingly i'm sure uh join uh groups such as black lives matter um unwittingly knowing and you know they they believe that they're helping black people, when in fact not only are they not helping black people in any significant way, uh, they tend to harm people, uh, black, white, and everybody else that gets in their way, uh, that gets in between what they, them and what they really want, which is, you know, power, political power uh, in, in the Marxist revolutionary cause. And it's gotten to the point where you know the idea of there's any uh, real pretense to their actions. Um, you know what happened with that with the, the guy in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Of course, that incident was uh, police were serving a warrant or they were responding to a 911 call. Uh, this person who had a record, uh, he was in a Accused sex offender, and uh, he was committing in the in the process allegedly of committing a domestic disturbance. When the cops showed up, Uh, he resisted arrest, and uh, the cop one of the cops tasered him. Uh, That didn't apparently phase that person enough; didn't have enough effect. That person went to his car and. Uh, Opened the door of the car and made for something inside. At which point, uh, one of the officers responding uh, shot him uh, seven times in the back. Again, as he was reaching for an object, which is believed to be some sort of weapon. I believe I, I heard it was a knife somewhere, but I have not seen confirmation of that. And of course, the uh, powers that be in, in, in Kenosha, Wisconsin, you know, for some reason are, are not sharing what they know about what sort of weapon may have been found, or what may or may not have been found in, that, in his car. Uh, I think it's safe to say that he was not uh, reaching for a pack of cigarettes or looking for some loose change. Uh, in the door of of his minivan, uh, his SUV, I think uh, think it's pretty logical to uh, conclude that he was probably um, reaching for some sort of weapon, which would, of course, mean that uh, he was planning on murdering his way out of his situation with the police at that point. But of course, all those facts are lost on the rioters and looters. Uh, it's to the point now where really, it's these incidents are are almost just a formality for um, for the this mob violence and, and rioting, and of course, a lot of it is based on bad or incorrect or misinformation. Uh, being given out, and of course, the uh, left leaning media are always complicit in either creating this misleading information or repeating it um, without uh, doing the basic um, bit of journalism to back up the statements, um, particularly some of the more incendiary statements and claims being made by, you know, quote unquote, witnesses. Um, you know, like the whole hands up, don't shoot thing was a fabrication that was promoted uh, willfully by the media and, of course, caused a lot of problems uh, in Ferguson, Missouri uh, a couple of years ago. And, of course, that, that same sort of irresponsible behavior on the part of the mainstream media continues to this day, and unfortunately, uh, unfortunately, now there are uh, continuous riots of some sort in every or in many cities. And you know, there there has been a riot in Portland for each of the last ninety days, um, and there's been some sort of riot or civil disturbance in at least one city somewhere. Um, since basically the George F- Floyd situation uh, set off uh, riots in Minneapolis. And of course, the Trojan horse from Scranton and his running mate, uh, Kamala Harris, apparently only recently found out that there are actually uh, riots and looting and arson going on in uh, many of the major cities throughout the country uh, apparently took a dip in their polling, in their uh, focus groups, going south on them to uh, for them to wake up to the fact that rioting is bad, and American citizens tend not to not tend not to uh, like rioting. They're, we're we're just funny that way. So as I mentioned, uh, they did uh, finally condemn the violence, and of course, they had to tie it to uh, some imaginary uh, event that uh, where uh, Trump has been divisive. Um, not seeing anything. I can see plenty of examples where the left has, and the Democrats have been divisive. Uh you know, pitting black against white, uh, gay against straight, male against female, um, and, and other, you know uh, rich against poor. Uh, it seems like the group that's pitting people against each other apparently is immune from being described as divisive. I don't know, but that sounds pretty divisive to me. I mean, it's, it's not the conservatives that are uh, telling people, uh, trying to convince people that what's not right in their life is due to some other group. Um, it's not the conservatives that are telling blacks, for instance, that all of their problems are, are in life are due to white people. Uh, it's not the conservatives that are telling people who are not as well off that the reason they're not as well off is because of rich people as if the economy was some sort of zero-sum game where you know if a rich person gets a larger piece of the pie that leaves less for everybody else that of course is untrue it's a logical fallacy but uh, it doesn't matter to the left because these notions that the truth doesn't matter to the left you know it's all emotional appeal Um, there's it's all logos no uh, pathos or or it's all pathos no logos for the uh, left left left-wing person Uh, it's all emotional it's not it's never a logical argument for them and when they try to be logical uh, it's usually um, being in a self, uh, self-contradictory way or hypocritical way and so what does uh, Joe Biden and his running mate say about all of this uh, social unrest and well I'm sure he's not going to recommend that Trump call out the National Guard. He's not going to do that. He's not going to recommend that uh the that Trump uh, uh ins- or use the insurrection act as a basis for taking action with federal troops. Uh he's not going to do that. You know, he's not going to do the Monday, Monday morning Quarterback thing like he does with the COVID-19, making recommendations that either the Trump administration has been doing for weeks or is in the midst of doing, and pretending like uh, he's had the idea, and and Trump's being uh, asleep at the switch, because that's another fallacy that the that Biden and the Democrats are trying to to. You know, press upon the American people and I don't think most of us are are falling for it and I don't think most Americans are going to blame the trouble, uh, the, the civic or the, the social unrest on Trump, not when virtually all of the problems are in Democrat run cities and the Democrats allow the violence Uh, they refuse uh, federal aid Uh, in many cases they refuse to activate their own National Guard uh, to control the violence or they only very reluctantly activate the National Guard over days and maybe even weeks of social unrest and looting and burning their cities down. And of course when they do finally take action, the sort of action that the president has already recommended, uh, guess what? The, the, uh, incidents of rioting subside. And so, um, just to wrap things up about the RNC, you know, do yourself a favor, um, particularly nowadays where everything is on YouTube, everything is on social media, um, a lot of well, all of the speeches that were done in the during the RNC um, were, you know, were really good and really worth watching and and rewatching in some cases. You know, it's very tough to watch every single speech. Uh, it's easy to miss some, or or just you know catch like the tail end of a speech or, or something like that. And so, do yourself a favor. Uh, this convention, unlike other Republican conventions in the past, really have no wasted speaking slots. Okay, there's there's no one talking on talking up, uh, you know, the mon- the proper monetary theory that the the Federal Reserve Bank should employ. Uh nothing nothing of the technical, you know, you know, the political wonkism that you really hear in and that maybe you've heard in Republican conventions of the past. There were no wasted speaking slots in the Republican convention. There were no forgettable performances Uh, Quite unlike, in my opinion, the DNC. I guess if you're a Democrat, maybe some of those speeches fired you up. Uh, Talking down the United States uh, didn't do much for me. I don't think it did much for anybody with much patriotism. But the RNC was, um, this was probably the best RNC I've seen. Um, other RNCs in the past had individual great speeches and great performances uh, by some of the up-and-coming uh, political figures, um, but this one really, like, had no duds. So you can't go wrong. Uh, I would just pick like almost any uh, politi- any speaker from the RNC, almost at random, and you're going to hear. A very good, positive, and uplifting speech. Um, anywhere from Christy Nome, uh, governor of South Dakota, to Nikki Haley, to Senator Scott, to Rudy Giuliani, um, and then there was a lot of ordinary citizens who maybe benefited in some way from Trump's policy. Uh, maybe in the area of prison reform, or things of that nature. There, there's no bad speeches. You can't go wrong if you want to go back and listen to anything you missed, or, or maybe re-listen to some ones. I mean, this is, again, it's one of those conventions. Well, maybe the only one so far that you might actually want to replay certain speeches of it. And I think uh, this will actually be a model for Republican and maybe even Democrat uh, conventions in the future. Of course, they'll go back to having, after COVID-19 is done, uh, hopefully, and God willing, in, in four years, uh, they'll go back, be able to go back and hold uh, big rallies and have the roll call votes. And you can see all of the people wearing the funny hats on both sides and and hear how crowds react to their speeches and sort of get caught up more in the energy Um, but this one was good this one was again well worth the watch and if you miss any part of it you can't go wrong uh, looking up uh, the speakers and again almost at random you can pick one and you're not gonna go wrong you're not going to be bored to sleep listening to any of these uh, speakers from the past uh, four nights during the Republican National Convention. And so I have been just just to uh, change course here I have been looking for good news on the COVID-19 front. Um, there was one story out of uh, townhall.com where it mentions a couple of states uh, have uh, lifted their uh, ban on uh, hydroxychloroquine. Uh, So there's a... If you're interested in that sort of thing, there's a good piece by, looks like, Christina Norin. If you go on the blaze.com and they... Uh, well, that's the other one, on, well, the one I'm talking about on, uh, is, is called, let's see, Finally, states are retracting hydroxychloroquine bands. That's by Christina Noren, I think. Uh, and it basically just says that uh, the states of Ohio and Minnesota have reversed their bans on uh, using hydroxychloroquine uh, prescription by a doctor to treat COVID-19, because of course uh, hydroxychloroquine has been in use for 65 years. It's past, you know, it's past FDA muster. It's it's considered one of the more safer drugs uh, that are approved. Um, obviously, it's unknown for sure how well it works for COVID-19, but with so so much anecdotal evidence about the positive effects, I mean, there has to be something to it. One would think, and and you know, there's plenty of research that would back up the positive effects of hydroxychloroquine in combination uh, using for treating um, COVID-19. So I think that's a little bit of good news because I think those bans were well, first of all, they were completely irregular. Um, You don't see states banning the off-label use of certain drugs that are approved by the FDA—it's—it's it's not something that's done, as far as I know. Uh, hydroxychloroquine is the only instance that that uh, fed that state governments have interfered with the rights of doctors to prescribe a drug for off-label use, uh, as long as it's been deemed uh, safe. Uh, it's approved by the FDA for for something you know it's, an, it's not just an experimental drug um, so that's good uh, I think it's it's going to help it stands to help people um, and say so one haste to think of how many people could have been saved uh, had this the use of this drug not been politicized but it was. Um, for some reason the press decided that they were going to hone in on this drug in particular because uh, that Trump, Trump touted it in a speech and then later uh, sent a tweet uh, suggesting it be used. And of course, you know, they can't have that. Uh, for some reason, the, the uh, liberal press establishment, left-wing press, decided that this might be too good and for whatever reason you know having something that could be a good treatment for a lot of people give hope to a lot of people you know just didn't fit in with with their program of you know trying to make the president look as bad as possible but that is in my opinion good news it really just it just rights a wrong that was done. I mean, this is completely abnormal that a state would interfere with a doctor's right to prescribe something off-label. And then in other news, and this is from the uh, the Blaze. So if you go on their website, you know you can look this up. Uh, CDC: Six percent of coronavirus deaths were solely from Covid nineteen, so yes, you heard that right. Um, when I first re- read that too, I thought, well, did they leave like a number out, like there should have been before or after the six? You know, maybe like a nine or an eight or or one or a two after the six, but no, it's six percent of Covid nineteen that's listed the only cause of death so I might as well read this to you from the article, at least this portion of the article by Paul Saka for Blaze.com Blaze TV Uh, and I'm quoting from the article here the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has published a report stating that just 6% of COVID-19 deaths listed the only Just listed the only cause of death as coronavirus and no other uh, comorbidities. So what does that mean? That it's very exceedingly rare for someone to die of coronavirus alone as a drug or or as a disease in and of itself. This is a disease that really needs some other uh, respiratory or some other disease or condition to piggyback off of uh, to create the conditions where a person is going to be uh, terminally ill and eventually die from it. So but this is I guess cold comfort in a sense because it's still the same number of people who get infected, um, who are dying, but to suggests that the number of people who might still be alive but for their exposure to coronavirus um, is substantially higher than was previously thought. Uh, again, reading from the article, uh, based on the CDC's data, 94% of people have died with coronavirus along with one or more other underlying health issues. The CDC's August 28th update stated that there were 167,558 COVID-19 total deaths, which means 10,053 died solely of coronavirus alone with no other health conditions. Okay, unquote. Uh, I can tell you why, to me, this is a good thing. Uh, it doesn't really ma- matter really much now, because, again, uh, if you're dying um, from coronavirus, uh, if you're in bad condition already, and coronavirus is you know chopping... Uh, weeks, days, or months off of your life, then that's still a bad thing. It's kind of cold comfort to know that coronavirus was not the, the primary cause of, of your death or your loved one's death. If someone's died of coronavirus, that's cold comfort. But where that is good, positive, is when we do eventually come up with a working vaccine, which uh, all indications um, look for, say it's promising um, that a vaccine could be available to the general public um, by the end of the year, if not early next year. Uh, The good thing about that is once we have a working vaccine, we know now who to prioritize to get the vaccine? Uh, logic would dictate that the people with these comorbidity, uh, com- comorbidities would get the vaccine first, and of course, uh, the healthcare workers, the frontline uh, medical personnel uh, assisting those people, the sick and the elderly. Uh, they, they would also get the vaccine first. I think that would be a, the best strategy. And so this is really good for uh, really clarifying uh, who gets priority. Now, I'm not going to suggest that with a vaccine, we can eliminate 94% of COVID-19 deaths. Um, even if that is true, which probably the data won't show, but first of all, first of all, a, a vaccine should, you know, if it works, worth its salt should should in and of itself should prevent lots of deaths. I mean, that's the whole purpose of a vaccine. But the thing that that ninety four percent of people could be helped uh, with a vaccine. That's a good but I don't know if that's going to be borne out by statistics so you know don't quote me on that but there does seem to be a a good upside to the vaccine and again who should get the vaccine first would be those uh, people with the comorbidities because after all they are the most likely ones to die I mean really that's the whole name of the game is keep people from dying I mean, because really, uh, who cares uh, about keeping people from having um, a mild uh, version or even a a relatively severe version of the cold, or or experiencing cold-like symptoms or flu-like symptoms, and living and having no further uh, problems? You know, you know, who cares if? if uh, people get get the disease and have almost no discernible symptoms and possibly no symptoms. You know, it's only the ones that are at highest risk of really being hospitalized and really at risk of dying that I think logic would dictate that we give it to those people first. And of course, you know if you understand the concept of herd immunity. Um, well, the, the experts will disagree on how many, how much of a percentage of the population would have to have antibodies, or you know, either from having the disease itself or from the vaccine. But the experts disagree, but certainly, if you eliminate the people who are most likely to die. From that, um, like I said that's that's a, a huge number of people. If you can just take care of those people who have the those comorbidities, um, you know. Again, not not to sound callous, but you know who cares uh, if you you know get positive for a disease and but have virtually no symptoms. It's only the ones. That become very sick and maybe die because of that, that we're concerned of. And, you know, we should take care of those people first. And I think that's what they're going to do. We're going to have limited number of doses to give, particularly initially. And if we're smart about it, we can just, you know, drop this, um, the death rate of coronavirus like a rock, even if this, this vaccine works you know, kind of good. That's some good things on the on the COVID nineteen front, which is something that you know we've been lo- we've all been looking for. Uh, and you know, we'll see. You know, you know, maybe we can get back to our lives. But I think we're there's a lot of room to speculate. And of course, you can come on me speculating in further uh, podcasts about how the the government and how our countries will actually uh, cope with COVID 19, whether it makes sense. So again, that is that. Thank you for listening. Uh, again, if you uh, like this podcast, please tell a friend. Um, you know, word of mouth I think is the best advertisement for. For getting our, our listenership and getting the audience up. Um, Sounds like there's always, you know, we're, we're getting more people listening to the podcast all the time. And I can only assume that's because some of you are uh, hearing it and recommending it, um, maybe even reposting it online. Uh, hint, hint. Uh, and also, if you want to give a really nice review on, Uh, your podcast platform that you listen to this on. Uh, Again, hint, hint, that's something you can do. Uh, But, of course, only do it if you like it. And, of course, if you like it, uh, come again next week, and there will be another episode. It will be available on Monday morning. Uh, If you're lucky, you might be able to get it before Monday, like around very late Sunday night. But again, thank you everybody for listening, and follow us on Facebook, follow me on Parlor JP Mac, and thanks again. I hope to hear from you, and hope hope you will uh, uh, listen to next week's podcast too, and don't forget about the uh, catalog if you want to go back over previous episodes. By all means, please do. Okay, thank you. Until next week. This is JP Mack for LibertyRelearn.com.